Amen. So I uh, apparently dodged the bullet last week by uh, escaping, as David said, to uh, Canada. He didn't do it. He did. It's great that this sermon's about what we say with our lips and lying, Alan. Do you want to come and sit on the front row? <laughs> The naughty step, just here, there's plenty of space. Anyway, so, um, I hope you're enjoying uh, First Peter. It has many uh, emphases, many threads to it. We've entitled the series Standing in Storms because, it, again, it, it is a, a text which speaks uh, very powerfully to, um, to Christians as counter-cultural Christians. I'm going to read uh, from verse 8 to 12 this evening. Um, it's in the context of, of the passages that we've been reading uh, about um, submission. Never easy ones, but picking up in verse 8. Thank you, Chris. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil for, with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because... To this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For, this is the quote from Psalm 34, whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. This uh, text, these five verses, as a, a kind of about living uh, as God's people, but particularly in the context of together, a fellowship of gathering of church, not the walls, not the cathedrals, but the gathered, the people, the assembled. You know that, we gather and we scatter. We're always the church. And Peter has, um, has already kind of illustrated and talked through in a, a time of growing opposition and, and it's, it's becoming harder and harder to be confessors of Jesus Christ as Lord. He's taught about what it means to be believers in a cultural context where um, we are citizens of, of a place, but sojourners pass us through. We aren't uh, native dwellers, so to speak. We belong somewhere else. How do we live in relation to society, to governance, uh, and so forth? He talked about uh, servants of submitting to masters. He talked about wives and husbands. So our relationship as, as those citizens in our nation, our relationship to employees and our bosses and, and whether we're employed or not, and indeed our relationships as family members, as wives and husbands. And lest any of you think, well, I'm retired, I'm not married, and uh, no one is my boss. If you think we're very good at doing mental gymnastics. Verse 8 reminds uh, as that none of us are escapees from this. Finally, all of you, you're in this together. All of us. And he begins to, to talk about our relationship 
in church, in the gathered community with one another. And says a few things, contrast by way of contrast, and speaks particularly about love. Uh, The NIV text, uh, as we've uh, read, talks about, uh, it says, love one another here, and and that's true, uh, but it kind of misses, I think, uh, a little bit of the clarity of, of what the and the word that Peter used there, it's the, uh, the word Philadelphoi. Uh, it's not to do with Philadelphia nor cheese, um, cream cheese. It's, it's a Greek word meaning brotherly love. And uh, I guess we could talk uh, about it as a kind of modern paraphrase, modern translation of family love. It's not that you word here using agape, it's not erotic love, that kind of thing. It's, it's very much here that love of family, that love together. And he starts to, to describe in these five verses, in this living as God's people, as the church, of what it means to be together. He's talked about the outward relationships, perhaps, of, of culture, of our employment and our family, whether they're believers or not. But here, very much, between us, with one of us. So before we go any further, I just thought I'd ask you a question to stop you falling asleep uh, and to, to get you working and engaged. When we talk about culture, the culture that we live in, I wonder what you think about. And I wonder what you think forms that culture. I'm going to ask if there's any responders to that, of what forms culture. Uh, But it's really interesting, uh, just as as I've been preparing this week on this text, of, uh, of illustrations for good or bad about culture, of what forms it. I don't know if you uh, have a Twitter account. No, we can tell that our team leader sets the culture of uh, technological and social media involvement. Uh, Phil is under the radar in many ways on this. <laughs> We've, you've probably heard about trolling. Uh, it's not the trolls on the bridge. You know, I know I need to update this a little bit. Uh, little Billy Goat's graph. Uh, trolling is to do with just unpleasantness that people kind of either through anonymity or being feeling distant can write stuff that I doubt whether anyone would say it to your face. And we saw the impact of that uh, in uh, the presenter of Love Island who felt just under overwhelmed and went under through just this persistent pressure. We only have to think about the culture that's being set and, and described through Donald Trump of, of what he tweets about, what becomes normalized. Or even indeed in the department of the Home Office and uh, culture there of what is permissible. I'm not throwing stones, I'm just aware of, of those, some of those modern trends. When we think about culture of a church, what sets it? I mean, I guess we've got idealized answers, and some of those will be true, but what sets the culture here? So does anyone want to to give that a whirl? Cheryl. Yeah, absolutely, and and 
that would be one of the, the planks, I guess, of any church, I hope. Set by the people in the church, yeah. So the, the scriptures are read, but of, of how we take hold of that. What else might set culture in a church? Habits. Go on. Leadership, absolutely. What sets the tone? Tradition. We've all been into places where cult- tradition is setting quite a, a strong culture. Anything else? Fellowship, yeah. What do you mean by that? I think culture is it's to do with people and it's to do with scripture and it's to do with, with all those things. But I think sometimes it's what we model to. And we are affected. We're part of culture. We're, uh, I, I was looking up the root meaning of the word culture because we, we use it in a very particular way in this, in this kind of, we talk about our British culture and church culture. Uh, and I kind of was, I often get curious about where words come from. And uh, there's a great um, thing, rather than having a big book which tells you and can't can lug around the etymology uh, of words, and there's etymology online. Woohoo! I go to it quite often, sadly, that I am. Uh, that uh, culture is a noun from the mid 15th century. And it actually roots from uh, the Latin, but it's to do with the act of uh, tilling land, of preparing the earth for crops. And it was only into, or. Um, making colonies and, and so forth. And uh, it only became used in other senses in terms of in the 17, uh, 1796 of the culture you grow bacteria, really Pasteur and all that. Uh, and then later on, uh, it became much more used in terms of um, things like uh, culture shock and so forth. But it's really interesting about the, the root of that word is about tilling land, about preparing for something to grow. We very markedly affect culture. We are, in, we are influenced by it undoubtedly. We learn from it. Our children pick up all sorts of things, particularly in church culture, of what we, we demonstrate. But we are setters of culture as leaders, as influencers, as people who are part of this. And of, of actually what we model, of what we allow to persist, of what we don't challenge, or what we let pass by us. I think in many ways, Peter here is, is wanting to, to help shape the culture of the church that he was writing to in those places scattered, Pontius and Galatia and so forth, he mentions at the beginning of the letter. He's wanting to say that the people there, you are responsible in your particular place, in your particular gathering for what is created, for what is sustained, for how you are. Because he writes, finally, all of you be like-minded. All of us 
are part of this. It is the leaders, it is the children, it is every one of us. All of us are commended, exhorted, challenged, stirred about this. And, and love obviously features, I mean, this is a key theme of, of the Gospels and of, of, the, uh, of, of, of all of the epistles and the writing of Scripture. We, we, we hear about this family brotherly love in, in 1 Peter in chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, now that you have purified yourselves by bearing the truth so that you have sincere love for one another, love one another deeply from the heart. For you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. Chapter 2, verse 17, show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. And comes up again in chapter 4, verses 7 to 11. So what is he driving at? Well, in many ways, it's, it's kind of simple stuff. He says we're faced with a choice of doing it like we've always done or doing it the Jesus way. And he starts off by, by saying what we should be aiming for, that should be our goal, should be the model. All of you being, be like-minded. He's not saying become clones. He's not saying become automatons. But to be of one mind, to be of one spirit, to be of one kind of likeness, what does that look like? Be sympathetic. Love one another, this brotherly love, this contending, this abiding, this, this working through. Be compassionate and be humble. And he contrasts that with how not to be. That's how the church culture should be. And he says, don't perpetuate, don't continue what actually is fairly natural to people. Don't repay evil with evil. Don't seek to get your own back. And this is radical. The Old Testament talked about an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, lex talionis. And, and we know that Jesus says now, takes that entirely into a different manner. Pray for your enemies, bless them. Love them. Pray for your persecutors. He says, uh, uh, or, or, don't ins- uh, or don't insult with insult. Don't repay insult for insult. you're married that's a challenge uh, if that's if you have children particularly teenagers that's a big challenge how your neighbors and their fences and their boundaries and their dogs and cats that nip over and make a mess see peter is emphasizing that it's oh so easy to treat people like for like. I was hearing about some neighbours recently. Of, um, one of them makes quite a lot of noise. So in order to get comeuppance, they play rock music quite late at night. At about the same pitch through the wall. Just to remind them to say, you're annoying me, I can annoy you. It kind of is natural and normal. I was uh, with my family, some family in Canada this week, and they've got some younger kids, and two of them got into a little bit of contretemps, a little bit of disagreement. One got pushed, the other pushed back. The other were, I, you've pushed me, therefore I'll sort of slightly tap you. 
And, you know, how things escalate. And it ends up, Mom, he pushed me, you know, kind of. And actually both have escalated. Both have repaid evil for evil or insult with insult. Peter says in this forming of culture, don't repay evil for evil. He's not just being idealistic. He's already uh, referenced in uh, chapter 2, verse 23, when, when we're to consider Jesus the great example. He says in verse 21, to this you are called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you follow in his steps. And goes on to say, when they hurled insults at him, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. It's not weakness to break the cycle. But deeply countercultural and revolutionary. We, we kind of are told and talked to, to turn away from evil in these few verses. In uh, chapter 3, verse 9a, we've, we've kind of looked at that in, in verse 10, in this quote from, from the psalm, and in verse 11, we hear it. He says, um, you must keep your tongue from evil, lips from deceitful speech, turn from evil, and do good. In other words, actively turn away from doing it. Why does Peter kind of remind us this? Because our culture, that which we have grown up in, that which our society, which isn't that massively different from most places, knows how this goes. But Peter is saying, sisters, brothers, in this gathering, through Jesus Christ, from whom we are called and gathered together, turn away from that and embrace and act a different way. I mean, remember, he's already spent a long time talking about what holy living looks like. What it means to be this royal priesthood, this chosen people to reflect the nature and character of the kingdom of God. This is where it gets real. Obedience to Jesus is entry point and also a continuing hallmark of Christian living. And he then talks about not just our act, but particularly about what we say. Language, lips of, of our words come up quite a lot in these five verses. Don't trade insult for insult or tongue for tongue. Um, you may have come across... It's kind of like a, a thing that, that young people get into of how well you can roast each other. I do feel that sometimes my sermons go over, right over people's heads. Uh, but I'm trying to keep my foot in the youth culture with Tim over there. <laughs> Tim knows what roast It's not roast dinners we're talking about. But, but do you know what I'm talking about? Don't you, Noah? Yeah, there we go. This is for Noah's benefit here. You know that in James talks about taming the tongue, that how we say and what we utter and what we bring forth reflects what's within and is one of the hardest things to control, but one of the most telling things. 
there's a whole sense of turning from this. And doesn't just say, well, for your own culture. He, he, he describes very clearly what we are to do. And, and it's entitled in our text, if you see it in your Bible, doing good. That's a bit of a loaded phrase now. Oh, you do-gooders. It's almost an insult. How dare, you know, keep away from me, you do-gooder. Ah, strange society. What does Peter look for? Well, he says, turn away from those things that lead to this perpetual cycle of, of sin, of enmity, of discord, of, of separation, of hurt, pain. And turn towards and embrace what God is choosing to build and the blessing of God. And so he describes in a few short verses the culture of a Christian fellowship. Bear in mind that he's already said in chapter 12, live as, as such good lives, verse, uh, chapter 2, 12, live such good lives among the pagans, the non-Christians, uh, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. It says, be like-minded, be full of sympathy, exercise brotherly love, family love, compassion and humility. Love that is evidenced in care and concern. And by the quantity and depth and character of that love, the world can see and believe. I guess we should ask the question, why? Well, it will help our culture. It will help our church. It will help our fellowship. But Peter points to something more profound. I don't know if you heard it. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. I think the Pope has said this Lent, be kind, practice kindness. Kindness is a form of blessing. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you are called so that you may inherit a blessing. That as we, we choose the way of Jesus, we live in and open the door to the favor of God. To more of his anointing, to more of his empowerment. I mean, we can do that in all sorts of ways. Obviously, when we pray, when we worship, when we read scriptures. But, but I think here, he's not wanting to, to just say it's the sacred stuff, the spiritual. It's, it's the really normal, practical what we do with our lips. Rather than repaying like for like, break the cycle. It inherits a blessing. But also in verse 12, I don't know if you heard this, of, of another reason why for all of us. And I guess this is a little bit surprising, but here we go. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayers. That as we, through the word and the spirit, as we, as we become formed in the likeness of Jesus, as we choose, we're not, we're not little corks in an ocean just being tossed around. We have um, what's called volition. We have the ability 
to, to make this, whenever we're faced with these choices, to act in the ways that he's looking at of sympathy, of loving one another, like-mindedness, compassion, and humility, of not repaying evil for evil or insult with insult. As we choose the contrary way, the countercultural way, the kingdom way, the Jesus way, not only are we inheriting a blessing, but his ears are attentive to their prayers. I know God is entirely just and faithful, but there is this kind of note that says, as, as uh, the prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. There's something about, uh, you know, when we, we look at Jesus and think, I wish I was more like Jesus and of doing more of the Jesus stuff. I think it's partly because he was living that holy life. And that as he asked of the Father, the Father said, so be it. I'm not making this into a kind of a strange theology of uh, that we twist the Father's arm or that, that there's some sort of weird spiritual transaction going on. But something about carrying the nature of Christ, just as our Lord did in his life, blessing and the outpouring of grace upon grace. And I'm really heartened that actually it comes through things that are really quite simple. I'm not saying easy. I'm saying simple. What comes out of our mouth? How we respond in that moment You see, Christians, we're not just restraining from or turning, kind of like uh, making this, kind of uh, just focusing on the bad, but we're actually straining into, of being like-minded, of embracing and choosing the character of Jesus. When I I took the youth, uh, some of the youth to India just over a year ago, they were really, really excited for lots of reasons. They were eating curry all day, and um, they got to step out in faith. But there was one particular moment as we were in this village that there was something like, look, 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 that in the tree was a chameleon. They're curious creatures with their funny rotating eyes and funny little legs. But it was quite unusual to find them because, do you know why? They blend in. Chameleons are great at just looking the same as the leaf, the branch, the tree, the bush, the sand. Wherever you happen to place them on the hand, they kind of, even people who do experiments of putting them on like blotched paper and see what they do. Chameleons are very easy to adapt to the culture. As Christians, we're to not be chameleons. It's not about practicing and just being like those around us, going with the flow. The challenge is to stand out. To stand out by following Jesus and the Spirit and his ways. We're told in this text to pursue the way of peace 
to seek it and to pursue it. Paul is, uh, Peter, sorry, is being a realist, nearly finished. And to know this, this is a challenge. Do you remember back in chapter 2, verse 11, he says, Dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires. This is a theme he keeps going on. And he points, says this, which wage war against your soul? That the, the way our society is, and the way it tends to be natural for us to respond, wages war against our soul, against who we are now in Jesus Christ. It's not a neutral thing. It's not just a kind of, oh, yeah, maybe. Wages war. But Paul in the, the Peter, sorry, Peter in his uh, kind of um, encouraging in this finally all of you, again and again points us to Jesus, to his example. As, I, as I've read in verse 23, when they hurled insults at him on the cross, he remained silent. It wasn't weakness, but the most profound act of love and the most powerful moment in history as he undoes the curse and the broken. He's also, Peter's also referenced in, in, in verse, chapter 1, verse 2, that we are now experiencing the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. Of course, that's critical to survive. What does it look like in this brotherly love? This love that, that isn't just about the biological family, but those who God has called together we are amongst right now. It looks like preserving unity, working at it, humbly working through disagreements, not trampling on or belittling or ridiculing those who perhaps think differently. Peter reminds us that we are not only to be sympathetic, which kind of seeks to understand the experience of the other, but when we are acting in sympathy, always leads to compassion. Once we begin to understand, we can act with compassion. And at the heart of these characters, he reminds us, be loving with one another towards one another, loving deeply. I was at a, a, a conference yesterday on, it was all about safeguarding and, and spiritual abuse. And uh, I won't go into all of it now. But one of the things they, they, they asked in the context of, of that, of what goes on in the family that we are representing part of, it's easy sometimes to point out and recognize the, the things where we're not doing so well and, and we need to face those. But the culture, the question that was asked is, what are you doing okay in? Where is good with the challenge of becoming better. And as I reflected on that, and in the context of many things for our, our church, I was deeply thankful for this fellowship and this family that we're part of, for the common mind of, of being together, of loving one another, that, that is there, thankfully, of compassion and humility. I was heartened and also inspired to keep on setting and demonstrating 
and forming that culture, tending that land, that ground, such that as, as our visitors and friends and children and youth grow up and see what it looks like, we're modeling and demonstrating the very character of Jesus. Let's pray together.